hey man where where are you at <laughs> funk is are you okay what's wrong oh i just came back from the fish store man with everything going on with covid they're out of everything they don't have any guppies or betas or yellow tangs nothing but worst of all they're out of dwarf shrimp my favorite aquatic animal what am i gonna do rob you can order on joeshrimpshack.com and stop being a bitch about it. You can use promo code Aquarium Guys at checkout for 15% off. Now get off the couch and order some damn shrimp. Oh, that's a great idea. I think I will go order some shrimp. Joeshrimpshack.com. Suck it up, Nancy. Also, don't forget about our friends at the Ohio Fish Rescue. We should be having a video coming out about uh, me becoming part of the Minnesota branch of the Ohio Fish Rescue. So why not just go to their website on YouTube and find subscribe to their channel because I'm on there. I mean, what better reason do you need? Maybe give them a couple bucks. I mean, they need the money. They put up with me. Here's the podcast. Welcome to the Aquarium Guys podcast with your hosts, Jim Colby and Rob Zolson. Damn it! I gotta, I gotta restart that. <laughs> Not because you said turd wagon. Okay, three, two, one. I gotta say turd wagon this time. What are you talking about? Oh, well, welcome to the podcast, everybody. Jimmy's being difficult today. So uh, again, I am your host, Robbie Olson, and I am Jim Colby. Your mom's a big fan. And tonight's special guest is Adam El Nashar. How are Ooh, you doing, buddy? Yay! Pretty good. How about you? <laughs> Nashar. 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 So, kombucha loving Adam, how we're we're so happy to have you as tonight's featured guest. By popular demand, put it. We've had uh, feedback put in multiple times that they want to have a special episode dedicated to Adam and uh, talking about you know him owning a pet store. So uh, it's going to be all about you today. Okay. I <laughs> okay. You, you you plan notes, man. Come on now, don't, pret- don't pretend to be surprised. You did make notes. Excellent. Now, did you draw a puppy dog in the middle? Because I feel like that's normally your notes. No, I I had my littlest one scribble. Wonderful. Wonderful. So you, you dictated this the scenario to your six-year-old? Uh, my two-year-old. That's my youngest. Wonderful. So it's probably in crayon, and there's probably not a lick of English. <laughs> no. Nope. Uh, they know English. Well, guys, before we start our topic, which is, again, owning a pet store by popular demand, we, of course, always have news, and I think Jimmy came into the studio, and he's been just stressed out to... Uh, Not happy. To all hell. So let's just start with your problems, shall I, we? I have a problem today. Today, I learned that two of my childhood friends, childhood idols, had their guns taken away today. That's just that's just wrong. It, but but uh, who were those idols? Elmer Fudd and Yosemite Sam have gotten their guns taken away from Warner Brothers in the new Looney Tunes uh, series coming up on, I think it's Max HBO, if I'm not mistaken. Communists! I know. Why? Because they don't want him to have a gun because he's a a reckless gun owner. And so they're going to let him still have dynamite and blow Bugs Bunny up, but he can't have a gun anymore, and I'm just pissed. So funny you say that. Me being on the internet side of things and and crawling around the, you know, epic— horrible potholes i'm finding that warner brothers uh has been going really ham on a lot of people's parody content of bugs bunny and elmer fudd and all those what and 
they actually just copyright ban striked a video. And I wanted to share this with you, Jimmy. I figured this is a better time than ever. So for those that are listening, this is the part of the episode where we're going to play something that uh, doesn't swear, but it's not necessarily family friendly. So uh, please clear your ears. Here we go, Jimmy. Are you watching the screen? I'm watching the screen. All right. That looks like Elmer Fudd. I'm hunting wabbits. Uh... What's up, Doc? You got a tight little man putty on you, don't you? Oh, no. This, oh, this is, this is ruining this is children's childhood. No, no, this is ruining my childhood. Me. This little rabbit's hopping down the orange. <laughs> That's not what's funny that I know about. Why is this going on the podcast? What, what, what was that about? That was unnecessary. Oh, wait, I just realized that only the people live on Discord can see your face right now. Oh, that is not nice. Oh, I've been saving that all day for you. Oh, I saw the news. I knew you'd be upset. Oh, I was not happy. Yeah, this got copyright crammed by Warner Brothers because they're trying to do new content now. So We must be very, very quiet <laughs> or we're hunting rabbits. You stink, don't it? <laughs> Oh, so yeah, my whole day was ruined, and and now my evening ruined because I just saw this, and I can't unwash it from my eyes. You can't. This is that is horrible. You're gonna need some eye bleach later. But uh, eye bleach. The only the other meme that comes to my mind is the uh, the Tom and Jerry one where Tom's sticking the double barrel inside of Jerry's mouse hole, and it pops out the other way. Yeah, He's about exactly. to shoot him in the face. Like exactly those gags are classic, and they've ruined my childhood. Now I have nothing to look forward to. And I'm gonna go home and die a miserable death. Nothing ever again. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, my news all right, this week is uh, I have decided that uh, it is a long time to have a, a diet. You know, Rob used to weigh 416 pounds. I went down to 350, and I went on the scale, and I gained about 13, 15 pounds since then. So uh, I, I call that maintaining in my world. <laughs> maintaining. <laughs> That's maintaining. But uh, me and a couple buddies were in a weight loss competition. And uh, essentially, one of them's in West Virginia, one of them's in Minnesota close by. And we have a competition where whoever wins, we have to go to their location for like a weekend. And whoever loses has to help pay the other one to travel there. <laughs> so and we so have to lose our goal weight by Thanksgiving. And then, and then they're flying you in first class? Oh, no, we're probably going to drive. But who knows? Flights may be cheap by then. I was going to say, our, our gas could be $19 a gallon by we, then. We don't know. But, we don't know. You know, circumstantially, we're going to do our best. Yeah. So I, I am not part of this. And so good luck to all you guys doing that. Well, you cheat. All you got to do is go on a slight diet because you work like 97 hours a day. Yes. So all you would do is just, it would just fall off your body. Yes. Yeah. I'm just. We a, don't want to go against the skin gym. and bones. We've all seen me. I'm just skin and bones. Right. Besides that, you know, belt buckle that was eaten 10 years ago. Belt, that, that belt buckle used to be huge. It's still huge. You just can't see it. It <laughs> shrunk in the wash. Well, after the first week on this diet, I lost 12 pounds. 12 so, pounds. Uh, that uh, is me going off pomp, low sugar diet. And uh, I'm so sick of people on social media being like, oh, you got this. And then giving me all kinds of recommendations. It's well, not the encouragement I want. I just want to like ignore the whole process. Well, what are they recommending? Well, what? everything from, you know, uh, Adam even was telling me that I should just, you know, go to bed on time drink nothing but water for five days, go on a yogurt diet. I mean, all kinds of crazy things to, you know, extreme versions of keto. I just hate diet people. Maybe that's just me. So, what did I tell you to do? Jump off a bridge? No. Oh. I told you I was going to lock you in the bathroom for a week. You just eat soap while you're in there. I just thought that was part of the podcast prep. <laughs> no. 
No, that's what I wanted to do. Oh, okay. Well, uh, wait, wouldn't that, wouldn't eating soap be kind of like what his mom did to him? That's, oh. it's kind of Jim's fetish, to be honest. It's yeah. Put his bar of soap in his mouth, spank him, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, blow bubbles. Blow bubbles. But, uh, no. wasn't, wasn't bubbles Michael Jackson's chimp? <laughs> this is very tangenty. I know. Normally we do something bad. about fish, but we'll get into that in a minute. Eventually. But on Facebook today, I said that, you know, I'm so sick of having people you know, like, oh, good for you. You can do it. Encouragement. I'm like, I don't need any of that crap. You don't need encouragement. I need fat shaming. That's fat, what I need. Fat, fat shaming. So I went on my Facebook. I posted <laughs> on there. <laughs> right. And I said, give me your best fat shaming. And I think the best one that I've seen all day, and trust me, I've only done this for half the day. And people have gone hog wild with fat shaming me. Apparently, they've just been waiting for someone to ask it. <laughs> they said, uh, hey, if this diet thing doesn't work out, at least your tits could make an Instagram account and they become famous. So... That was the best one I've had so far all day. That that's incredible. I laughed oh, so even hard. Be, that was better chair. than mine. Yes. What was Adam's? What'd you tell him, Adam? Well, see, Rob said that he fell out of his chair laughing, and I asked him if he really fell out of the chair, or if the chair just finally gave up. Oh, see, all downhill <laughs> from there. Wow. Love you too. And I can't believe that I'm the nice one of the whole bunch tonight. Right? I know. Pretty cool. So uh, you got any other news, Jimmy? No, I'm just upset about the Elmer Fudd thing, and I'll probably get over it. But... You got some news, Adam? No, I'm I'm no. good right now. No, is, is your governor opening up the state down in your neck of the woods? He's your governor too. First of all, let's not even <laughs> go with that guy because that'll get me on a two-hour tirade about no, no. Uh, we, we, we're here for tie, tirades for pet store all right so we'll get to that yes. in a minute yeah hold on to your all right so in news in news we have news one of our fans was listening to the podcast and contacted me a while ago his uh name is dan b for the sake of identity right and uh, he's in southern minnesota closer to the cities and he decided that he wanted to try doing some aquarium stands so he contacted me and uh, sent me a prototype for a two and a half gallon on the wall stand and it's amazing i put pictures up on the Leave it to the group, my Facebook. You can go check it out. But it turned out uh, really well. So shout out to you, Dan. He uh, has a company that he does um, online custom fixtures. Looks like uh, kind of country style uh, fixtures. So he'll be putting together something soon. But I wanted to give a thank you on air. And you'll be hearing a little bit more in the future about uh, his endeavor. So uh, number one, thank you for the prototype. It worked out really well. Happy to give some uh, feedback on that. And uh Thank and you, you. And you put it on your new stand. Yeah, and you gave me new lights. Yes. Well, I built your stand, too. Yeah, we, we got a shrimp rack. It's uh, capable of holding 20 two-and-a-half-gallon tanks. So that'll be uh, be fun. Get the, that shrimp life going. You know, order more shrimp from Joe Shrimp Shack. And what was interesting is it was pretty solid. When we first started building it, I was kind of concerned about that, but it's rock solid. Yeah, I sat on it. Good. So we know that it didn't break like my chair. Oh, <laughs> that's a lot of weight. <laughs> I did not know that. This is where we insert some boat noises, like there we go. It's got to be a motorboating joke in there. Oh man, <laughs> not on Rob. I'm not. Not a chance. This is this is getting real classy. So since we have no other news, if you guys want to be part of the debauchery, come and join us. Again, our website is AquariumGuysPodcast.com. At the bottom of the website, you'll find a link for Discord. That's where we actually record these podcasts. We do, we try to do every Monday night around 7 Central. So join us. We have a bunch of people in chat right now. And uh, let me tell you, the chat is uh, 
is blowing up. Gun control no, no, knows no bounds. As I eat an R- RV sandwich on cam, hashtag not my governor. So join the debauchery <laughs> with us. And uh, this is the only way you get to listen to the podcast and see us in person. We have cameras on. We're not that beautiful old people. And we're waiting, frankly, for this Joe Rogan thing to uh, pan out so we can do video on Spotify. Because that'll be pretty awesome. That'll be real cool. I'm that way we're that. not pulled off for saying the word COVID on YouTube. COVID or turd wagon. Right. That uh, turd wagon. We have to incorporate that word. I forgot we had a meeting about this. Yes. Turd wagon. Right. Yeah. Turd yeah. wagon. Indeed. We're just going to change the name of the podcast to the turd wagon guys. There we go. <laughs> you know what? You can just, you can just name the whole podcast, the turd wagon podcast. So before this gets flushed, Adam, let's get down into our normal topic, sir. <laughs> so uh, we always ask, how did you get started in the fish hobby? Well, to be quite honest, I actually started when I was, oh, like six or seven. I lived in Peru, and they had a pond in my school there, and they had... Wait, wait. how was Peru in the 50s? I was not in the 50s. It was in the, like, late 80s, early 90s. God, you're a dick. Oh, okay. Thank you for clarifying. Continue. <laughs> he thought He thought you were me for a second. Sure. And uh, he was in Peru. He found a white lobster and like, I'm going to sell that for fish. No, were you, they had were, these. Huh? Were you in Peru? Like on one of those, uh, you know, where you're hiding from people? No, no, no. My dad had a job there. So okay, I had to live there. Okay. Continue. Ignore. Us. I'm sorry. So anyways, um, we had, we had, they had a, this pond they were draining cause they were going to clean it out and everything. And in it were Basically, feeder guppies, not endlers, you asses. I see <laughs> they don't have there. endlers in Peru. They only have good fish down there. Yeah, okay. And um, so they, I went and I took some home and I had them in a jar. And did you have a license for those? No, I did not. I brought them All home right. and I just kept them in a jar and I changed the water out and feed them breadcrumbs and whatever flake food I could find. And that's when I got started with it. I was always in animals ever since I was little. So I kind of just I thought that you're going to say your guppies had gluten allergy or something. I didn't know that's where that was going to go. No, I've just always had animals ever since I could. I would. I've had them. So, so. what made you decide, you know, moving forward, you start in Peru, you start with feeder guppies and you, you collected animals since then. Right. So what decided, hey, I should start selling these because I no longer like them. what I what happened was in my town, they opened up a pet store. And this was in Peru. No, this is in when we lived in Grand Rapids. So when did you guys leave the witness protection program? I was never in the witness protection program, Jim. Wait, this is this is he said nineties, right? Eighties, nineties. We missed so much space from how they went from Peru to the United States. I wanted to there's like a whole like two hour story here. Okay, you go ahead. We'll quit interrupting. We'll quit being dicks. I don't think that's gonna happen. I don't think so either. (laughs) You're such a turd wagon. Yeah. Anyways, um, so they had a pet store there, and they had opened up, like, a few weeks before, you know, in, like, the I don't remember exactly, but it was called Pet North. Mark was the original owner, Mark and his wife, Carla, I think. And anyways, I found the pet store, of course, because you know how animal we are. We just find animals, and we stick with them. So I volunteered my time there from 12 to, like, 14 or 15 and then mark sold the store to another owner and then she hired me because i would come in and volunteer and by volunteer i mean i'd clean cages of like hamster cages and lizard cages and 
help people out and ring stuff up on the till. And I've been doing this since basically I was 12. I'd read all kinds of animal books. And that's how I kind of got started in the pet trade. And then um, when I graduated high school, I went and there was nothing else really there that I could do because I wasn't going to go to college. So I became manager of the pet store. And then I just like two years later, turned around and bought it. At Grand Rapids. In Grand Rapids, Rapids Minnesota. There's one in Grand Rapids. There was two. There's one in Brainerd and one in Grand Rapids. Yep. And uh, our friend Ty, uh, his wife used to work at the one in Grand Rapids. And that's how she got started. So, Adam, what age were you when you started out owning your own pet store? I want to say I was 23. 23 years old. Yep. I after, bought it at 23. So after having at least eight or nine years of experience, you felt you could just, just step in there and handle this on your own, correct? Yeah. Well, I, I was already doing a lot of it by like, and by a lot of it, I mean, I was already doing the ordering and doing the, uh, the purchases for two weeks. And, you know, I was keeping track of all, everything, the money, the deposits. So I was like, well, and the, the, the owner at the, at the time wanted to sell it and she wanted to be done with it. So I figured out a way to buy it, basically. You sold a kidney? Was that? No, I had some money saved up and I got some other funds and my the grandma drug helped money me in out Peru. a little bit. Huh? <laughs> the drug money in Peru. No, my grandma helped me out a little bit and, and I set up a business plan and I got a loan from the bank and I I uh, had to, I mean, there's a lot of steps to buy, even buying an established business. And if you find a pet store that is the owner is getting old and wants to retire, Try looking at seeing if they'll sell it to you first if you want to do it instead of starting a brand new one, unless it's like a really, really crappy one. Because once your reputation goes, then it just, you're, you're not, it's not worth, you know what I mean? It's not good anymore. You, you, you can always, like everybody at the store knew me as the pet store guy. Like everybody in the town knew me as the pet store guy. And then they knew my brother as the cell phone guy. Cause there's literally only two brown people in the whole town of Grand Rapids that aren't native American. <laughs> so it sounds like you're, it sounds like you're profiling <laughs> to me. You're profiling your own self. I can't believe this. <laughs> well, this is how it is. It's Northern I Minnesota. Know. And what's your brother's name again? Omar. That's right. Omar and Adam. Yeah. And so, so. W- when um, I was, selling to the previous owner and i knew i've known adam since he was about 15 years old how old are you now adam i am 38 38 years old so we've known each other a long time and so that's why you get a lot of crap from us and it's it's just a lot of fun but there are so many life lessons that you've learned with the pet store and the do's and don'ts why don't you tell us some of the things to do with a pet store that would made you successful when you had it watch your where you're spending your money at I don't know. Down to the tricks and trade, man. I want it all, man. You got there's foreplay before these questions. No, I'm. We know each other. There's no foreplay. All right, right, right to it. it. What is all your secrets? How did you make your uh, empire? It's a lot of work. You basically have to. It's like eighty hour week. So the one thing I that I did was I literally did everything. That means I would come in in the morning clean up the whole store because I carry I was all at at the time I was like an original mom and pop shop where and by that I mean it wasn't dedicated to just one thing it was dogs cats birds small animals everything that you needed except for like I didn't do horses and that type of stuff but fish of course that type of thing 
And eventually I kind of had to angle it more towards a specialist store towards like hob, like what I was interested in. And I tried to do more of that stuff because there's like dog and cats are pretty common and they carry the same stuff. And so I went to the stuff that has a higher margin and a higher markup. So, um, you know, my reptile stuff, fish stuff, live fish, livestock, um, reptiles, uh, feeders, that type of stuff is where you make your money. You don't really make it in the, the dog food, like a bag of dog food costs, you know, you sell it, everybody goes, Oh, dog food's expensive, but not even really the stores make it make their money on dog food. I had for my store, I was on a third tier level cause I bought so much dog food. And then just down the street at a, it's an LM fleet supply. They were selling the dog food cheaper than I could even buy it. And when I called the wholesaler on it, they go, well, they just buy more volume. And I'm like, how is there another tier above third tier? Well, that's for specialty stores. These, you know, so it goes off into those things. So you just have to be very careful where you spend your money and you have to build your reputation. Like I said, everybody knew that they could come to me and I'd, I'd help them. This is kind of pre-internet things. So I tried to learn as much as I could with books and everything. And I'd read fish magazines and reptile magazines and bird magazines. And I'd try to keep up with stuff as much as possible. We get a question a lot of times, you know, what's a markup? You're no longer in the business, so you can give us a lot of secrets. So what is the average markup on some of the, the products? Because you were mentioning before that dog food costs $50 a bag, you sell it for 55 That's not a lot of, that's not a lot of percent. So on your items that you were trying to really make money on, what's the percent point that you're seeing on the, you know, cash value items? Oh, that's where your markup is. It's like 75%. So what is that markup? Buy something for five, sell it for nine. There you go. Adam and I have had so many conversations about dog food. And Adam, how much money did you have tied up in dog food? I want to say there was like, when I first bought the store, there was $20,000 worth of dog food sitting there. And 400 bags of dog food, he would make five bucks a bag. So four times five, he'd make two grand having $20,000. And you could make more money off a pair of guppies than you could off a bag of dog food and not have $50 tied up. Yeah. I mean, those would be some guppies, but we, we get the analogy. I mean, you, you buy a pair of guppies for what, two bucks a pair, and you're selling them for eight ninety nine a pair. You just made the same amount of money on a pair of guppies that you just, and same had, percentage. Huh? Same percentage. Same, same dollar. Five right. bucks, five bucks. And, and I mean, you're making $5 profit or $5 profit. You've got $50 tied up, or you've got $2 tied up in a pair of guppies. And so you could have a hell of a lot more livestock than you could food because you just can't compete against the big box stores, unfortunately. So no. how did you go through $20,000 of dog food before the expiration date went out? Oh, that was easy. He's busy. busy. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was busy. I was the number. So for Neutral Natural Choice, before they got bought out by Mars, I was the number one or two distributor of it in, that, in the northern half of the state. I mean, I was doing huge, massive orders from the wholesalers. They loved my orders because I was doing so much. You had you had several pallet racks full of dog food, three I, levels I, of dog food. Yeah, and that's what they did was they brought it in, and all it did was it rotated your money. You never really made anything. And if um, so, what ended up happening is Mars got bought out, or Mars bought out Neutro Natural Choice, and then all of a sudden you couldn't get Neutro. So for two or three weeks. I mean, I had enough stocked up, 
but then they had an issue with um the dog food so they couldn't get it to people they could they couldn't even get it to the wholesalers they had distribution problems yeah it was a distribution problem and it was a it was a manufacturing problem and this is the mars so, candy company correct yes the mars candy company owns uh i want to say three or four different types of dog three or four different brands of dog food I'm going to eat a Snickers and start barking. (laughs) Well, that's what they, that's, believe it or not, that's what some of the food waste goes into is. Oh, they make Snickers and then throw the rest of the Snickers into the dog food? Not the chocolate part, but yeah, they throw the byproducts into the dog food and that's how you get a bunch of the different meals and stuff. Every dog food is good to a certain extent, but then we could go into some horror stories of what I heard about Neutro and some of the other ones, but let's not do that because that'll get us sued. Anyways. You sued. We're here about the store. Yeah, but we're here about the store. So what I, what ended up happening was I want to say, well, Jim would know he was in my store. You, I mean, what it was about a fourth of the store was dog food, dog and cat food, basically. Yeah, you had a lot of money, a lot of most of your money tied up in dog food, not producing a whole lot of uh, profit, and uh, yeah, and you know twenty thousand dollars sitting there to make two thousand dollars, where if you had twenty thousand dollars of other product, you know, being at fish supplies, rodent supplies, make a hell of a lot more money. But that's also part of the business. I mean, you need traffic, and if every month I have to go buy a bag of dog food, suddenly I'm walking in your store. Yes, but then what ends up happening is you come into the store and you buy the dog food and you buy maybe a treat. I actually, believe it or not, made a better profit margin on the dog treats than I would the dog food because they're little treats that people see and then they grab as they walk out the door. Oh, my dog would like this, my dog, you know, or my cat would like this. And so the profit margin for like my fish and basically every other section was darn near triple my dog food section. So I started focusing more on that, especially after I lost the number one dog food that I had due to distribution problems. Yep. So you lost lost your number one dog food and, and then you started turning to other things, correct? Yep. That's exactly what I did is I turned more to rodents and reptiles and fish. It, that stuff. And it's not really, you know, the livestock and that, that brought me more money for my buck than the dog food. It took a little while because your my store was so used to having just this massive cash flow, but it was never any profit. And so I turned it into more profitable and then the cash flow, you know, the the numbers went down but the profit went up. Does that make any sense? Did I explain it right? Total now? sense. Total sense. I've got a I got a buddy that owns three gas stations and he told me I'd rather sell you a candy bar and a bottle of pop cuz I'll make more money than I will off of a tank full of gas. I mean, on a tank full of gas, these guys are making five to seven cents a gallon. Consider you taking 15, 20 gallons, you know, you're making a buck 40 and stuff, and, and they'll make that off of uh, a bottle of pop and a candy bar. I, I Today, I paid for a candy bar, $1.79 for a Snickers, and now a bottle of pop out in the country in this neighborhood is two twenty nine a bottle. And you can go to your local, you can go to your local Walmart and buy a, two liter bottle for a buck any day of the week. So, I mean, that, that's where these stores, these C stores are making more money off of, you know, the pizza and the other crap they sell you than um, they are on the gasoline. So gasoline is just kind of a lost leader as usual. And there again, they've got all that money tied up. Gasoline has to be paid for within, I think, two or three business days, if I'm not correct. I mean, 
they don't get any any leeway on, on waiting to pay for the gasoline. So to be a small business owner, you have to have a lot of cash just kind of sitting there on the shelf looking at you. I mean, that's what you learn about any business. I, I mean, working for Walmart, I was a um, while for a manager for about two years going to clean up other stores. And just in the electronics department, right? The entire department is, if they can break even, it's a great year. So if you go to that back TV wall really? in any of the department stores, yeah. they're losing up to 5% per TV, losing money to sell TVs. Just to get you and in the door. that's not on sales. That's just tag price. So any sales go further than that to get you in the door. So most of those TVs are either break even, as menial as 1%, or as loss of 5%. But they'll make, you know, 120% on the HDMI cable. Yes, they'll sell you. on the cable, on the wall mounts. I mean, the Walmarts are anywhere from 75 to $150 for a wall mount. And it's not just Walmart. Uh, Walmart. It's Target. You know, pick a department store. It's all right. the same business model. Exactly. So after you figured out that, uh, you know, dog food was a, a, a loss winner, right? You, you moved yeah. in all the diversity and you said rodents, reptiles, other birds. snakes, birds, yep. you know, out of all of those diversity, like what were the, the biggest winners? Because again, people are going to listen to this and maybe they're thinking of opening up their own pet store. A lot of these people are just thinking of like, I want to do just fish. Well, as much as this is a fish podcast, may have not been the most profitable so what you know was the most profitable besides accessories for dogs in your pet store um believe it or not it was actually my fish and reptile departments i I don't know if that was because i focused on them more yeah somebody put on the on the chat hermit crabs hermit crabs are very profitable but what it is is if you okay so like i can get like a baby leopard gecko because i have the reptile contacts i can buy a baby leopard gecko for four bucks maybe five bucks. I get it shipped in. By the time you have shipping and everything in, you have that baby leopard gecko is going to be eight, nine. And then I'd turn around and have 30 bucks on it. And this was pre, you know, major internet days where you could order a live animal and then it would be shipped to your, so you'd order it on Monday, Tuesday, it would be shipped, you know, and then Wednesday you'd have it. They had to come to pet stores to, buy stuff like this and so you know that's where your markup is so i mean what the hell was it like 20 bucks 27 bucks yeah. so you'd have to sell a leopard four, right you'd have to sell four bags of dog food have 200 dollars tied up in, in the four bags of dog food to make 20 bucks or have nine dollars tied up into a leopard gecko to make 20 bucks yeah and so and that and then on top of it people would go and then they'd want to buy a kit so then you'd get a kit set up but then they'll come in every week for feeder insects for that leopard gecko, whether it's live crickets, live mealworms. And that's where I really made a lot of money because I, I, I was selling in my area. I was selling, uh, I want to say, 15,000 crickets a week. Yes. And I had priced it out to, what did it come to, like nine cents a, a dozen or something like that. But I was selling them for a buck 37. So yeah. that's where you make your money on is the food for that. Um, when I had snakes before the city got all pissy, that's another story. Oh, city got mad? Oh, yeah. This, yeah. Oh, the, oh there's so much. Tangent. Just tangent. <laughs> I remember that. But but back to crickets really quick. I mean, Adam sold 15,000 crickets. And, and these are people that have to walk in the door every single week, 52 weeks out of the year to feed, because nobody goes home with, with more than a 100 crickets if they're feeding a lot of a lot of stuff 
because crickets grow fast. And Adam, how many different sizes of crickets did you have that you were I had selling? Three different, I had three different sizes. I had small, medium, and large. And, you know, as I thought about it, I should have charged different prices for the different sizes, but I was making such a big markup on them that it was kind of like, yeah, they're all the same price. Yeah, the cost is the same. Yeah, uh, so I wasn't trying. I know some stores will make a different price, and I know that, and I some of the stores up north would, in like two towns over, they would charge different prices for different sizes. But I'm like, you buy them from the same place I do, and people would realize that, and then they'd just come to me because my prices ended up being cheaper, even though my profit margin was better on them. You know, just because I was honest and sold them all the same price. Yeah, because I mean, pinhead crickets, which literally are the size of a pinhead. Um, if you can imagine what a little snuff box is, um, you know, like like for Copenhagen or whatever you want to call it. I mean, they would send like a thousand in one of those. Yeah. And it would be the same cost as a thousand extra large crickets, which you'd have to send in a, a box the size of a 12 pack of pop. How do you divvy those out? Do you use like a scalpel and a magnifying glass? Oh, pinhead crickets? Yeah. Um, you just put them in tubes. You put toilet paper, old toilet paper rolls in there, not you, not full ones, but like empty toilet paper rolls. And you put egg crates and that in there. Um, you also put a lot of moisture because they have a tendency to dry out and you want to put them in a smaller cage. Also for the pinheads, I always put Vaseline around the edges of the, of the cage so that, cause they have a tendency to climb on like, they find the littlest nook and cranny and then they get out. So the Vaseline stops them from getting out. And um, I'm writing this down. So lube your crickets. Keep going. Yes. Lube the crickets. <laughs> lube the crickets. And I think what, what Rob was talking to is about how do you count them? That, that's, that was oh. my question. See, I just put them in. A, I just dump, dump a tube in the bag and then I like pinch off the corner. And after you do it for so long, you get used to what size. Get pretty accurate. You know, how many a dozen oh. is. You count out a dozen. You just like tap out. And I, that looks like a dozen. Here's a dozen. Well, okay, so I tap out, I tap the tube into the bag, and then I flatten the bag out a little bit without smushing the crickets, and yep. then I'm, I knew kind of where a dozen were, and I, and by a dozen, I mean, I was given like 12 to 14, sometimes 15, that was my dozen, it was like a baker's dozen, and people liked that, because they got a couple extra, they thought it was good, I got to the point where I could just tell by looking at them how many dozen, how many were in there, and throw them in there and be good to go. What I do at my store is I have a cricket counter, which is a, looks like a uh, tube, and it's got a square lid on top. And you can, you can go up the side of the cricket cage and, and catch all these crickets. And when they sell you crickets, they're sold to you by weight. So at this size, you get this many, and they're pretty damn accurate. So what I do is, uh, like over my store, I've got a cricket counter what it's called it's just a, a plastic tube and we have it marked off for 25 50 75 and 100 crickets and it's really pretty accurate within five eight crickets and we use that over there in our store and once i got those cricket uh, tubes for my store uh my profits went up the amount of crickets they were giving went down because they were always giving extra like adam said you know try to give a baker's dozen but rather than give you 12 they're getting them 20 and um, that's where my profitability went up too. Once I got these cricket counters, and I think you can get them from about any cricket company for about seven or eight bucks, and it's the best money you'll spend if you're selling selling crickets. And you can make a ton of money off of crickets. Because Adam, what's the price of a thousand crickets right now wholesale? 
Um, well, the, when I did it, it was thirteen dollars a thousand. I want to say wholesale. Right, yeah, I think right now they're up to like sixteen bucks a thousand or fifteen bucks a thousand. Okay, and, and that's uh, that's at that's at the one in Minnesota, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, and also the one in Minnesota is the only one left, I think, in the country that does the domestica crickets. And they also Everybody else have, had to switch over to the banded ones. They have another warehouse down south where they're raising uh, cockroaches. Now there's big money in cockroaches too. I there never really, really had too many cockroaches, but I started getting into them and I started breeding those too. And people like with bearded dragons and that really liked them. And those things were basically, I'd feed them, you know, vegetable scraps and some high protein dog and cat food samples that had, you know, very low on the pesticides and stuff in it. And they, uh, I would sell those for, I want to say like a buck a cockroach. Yeah. And they are not cheap at all. I no. just did the math. I just did the math on a thousand crickets. Um, I sell crickets for $1.44 a dozen. Uh, so you get 83 dozen of a thousand crickets. That's $120. From $120 retail from, from $15. So there is money to be made in crickets. So Adam was making, uh, selling 15,000 crickets. So you're making about $1,500 a week on crickets, and you can pay your rent on that. Well, so if, that's another story for rent. But yeah. Yeah. You, if, you, yeah. if you're smart with your store, yes. Yes. And that takes almost no that takes almost no square footage either. That's the best part of it is because you when you, I mean, how big was my store? Like I want to say it was like uh, if I remember correctly, like say it was three thousand square foot. I think. Yeah, I want to say it was almost three thousand square feet. So you have to divide how much you need each square foot to make. So each square foot, I think, had to pull in like fourteen dollars in sales or or I went by profit, and that's how I tried to figure my stuff out. Get every yeah. If it's if it's not paying the rent, then it needs to go or it needs to be changed up. And yep. we've talked about that too before with with your tanks. If your tanks aren't producing what you need it to produce, then it's time to you know. I think everybody needs one favorite tank to hold your favorite stupid Endler Guppy in. But um, <laughs> but but you want it, you want to try to make some money. But crickets are very very profitable. And our store and. and the store I have in in my little town, we're we're doing four thousand crickets a week, and I have them automatically being shipped. Uh, I don't have to touch them, don't have to look them because my my help does it all. But I tell you what, that pays a lot of rent, and you can get yourself a nice cricket keeper for about one hundred and fifty bucks. They'll keep the crickets in so they don't get loose in your in your uh, store. It's they're nice and deep, so as long as you cut the crickets low, um, you're not going to lose any in the store and have them running around. So cricket's very, very profitable. What else made you a lot of money? Um, light bulbs, repel light bulbs, fish tank heaters. Fish food was really profitable. I tried to carry the high-end stuff whenever I could find it, and people could tell the difference. Frozen fish food was really profitable. That would always go. But what ended up happening was pet stores started disappearing after 9-11, and I don't know exactly why. Um, and then 2008 happened. And so a lot of stuff got jostled, especially up in my neck of the woods, because there was a pet store in just about every town. There was one in Bemidji, one in Grand Rapids, um, one in Hibbing, one in Duluth. And those are the big main metropolitan areas for northern Minnesota. And the stores just started disappearing um, 
after after 2008. And I think it was a combination of rent and then people losing their jobs and just the recession itself. And so the you lost your wholesalers. The whole, I had a hard time finding wholesalers and the wholesalers would combine and it was just hard for them to deliver to me. So like I used to be able to get stuff once a week from wholesaler A and then they're like, yeah, we're only coming up once a month now. Why? Well, you're the only store on our that's left on our thing. So that's what we're doing. But I needed stuff every week. And so I had to turn around and find other wholesalers and the territories. I did not realize how territorial wholesalers were to keep their stuff. So wait a second. You're saying that they're territorial on one hand, but on the other hand, they're like, you're not that important that we're going to come out there very often anymore. Well, it was because of the distance I was from a maid from and by major metropolitan. I'm like the twins. The Twin Cities is considered metro. Um, Duluth is borderline metro because it's not that big. It is, but it isn't. And so it wasn't worth worth it for them to ship fish or um, ship, you know, ship uh, whole, you know, dry goods and stuff. Well, to... when you, what used to be easy when when you would order, you'd have to have like a five hundred dollar minimum order. Then all of a yep. sudden now we're gonna, we're going to come once a month and you have to have a three thousand dollar minimum order. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you're looking for stuff to buy, to get it in that one month, and and the second somebody you, know, you get something delivered, then somebody walks in your store and says, "Yeah, I need this. Well, I can get it to you in thirty days." Crap, you know, because now you've got the internet to deal with. You've lost the sale, right? Yep, and that's about what happened. Is you know stuff started changing, and um, the internet came out, and they would sell stuff online cheaper than I could buy it on a, like a, like I was saying earlier, a third tier market from the wholesaler just because they would sit, set it all in a warehouse. And I, and then a lot of um like Rolf C. Hagen was one of my number one stuff. And I brought it in because it was a European company and it was a little bit better quality stuff, even though it was made in China, the stuff seemed to last a little bit longer. And then they said to hell with wholesalers and then they became their own wholesaler and so there's a lot of competition and it changed very quickly, like within six months to a year from the way it was going. And I don't know if it was just because store, so many stores were going out of business or the Internet opened it up that much that fast or what was going well, on. It, it, to, to paint the whole thing before come 2003, we had, you know, stabilized Internet where people could shop online. Come 2008, the Internet was prepped and suddenly we had the economic crash. No one's putting money into hobbies. They're trying to save their pennies, just like, you know, the beginning of COVID. No one's going to go out and buy a brand new TV until it was stabilized. So now we're starting to see people are opening up again, and now there's demand back. So there's that fluctuation. So all these pet stores, all the wholesalers come 2008, all started suffering because no one's buying uh, hobbies. They're buying necessities. They're buying um, other things to try to prep for the economic stimulus. And the first thing to get slapped is entertainment and hobbies. So all the wholesalers suffered, conglomerized, and made it difficult for pet stores to, to own. And they may still have had traffic. You were a good pet store. You you did your homework. That's why you're probably confused on I, all I couldn't just order. Well, you're not one of the stores affected because if you're weak, people aren't just going to show up to the weak ones. If they're going to spend any dollar, it's going to be at the one that's worthwhile, and you may have the destination station. Just like uh, I, I like to pick on some uh, of the – diversity we have now in the metro because there's plenty of fish stores down there and given you know 
the destination stores versus me visiting, you know, 10 stores in a, in a day for a trip down to the cities. If I don't have the money in my pocket and I want this one thing, I'm not going to suddenly visit all these stores. I'm going to go to the one store that matters because I'm driving, you know, three, four hours to these different stores. Pure economics is clearly what uh, what did all these pet stores in. That's why you saw like you were talking your Ben Franklin's, which is kind of like a hobby lobby of the past is what, uh, you know, died throughout the recession after the um, what was it 2001 to 2010. Most of those stores dropped face, it, you know, in our neck of the woods, uh, once the big box stores got up here, the Walmarts, the Targets and stuff, um, and then you can go there and get your dog food and, and your fish food. And, and, yeah, it might be just the cheapest crap you can get. But uh, all of a sudden, you know, that was – go to one store, get everything. I remember when I was in the grocery business and we made fun of people because we said, oh, ain't nobody going to go buy their groceries at Walmart and buy – uh, oil for their car and put it in the same cart. Boy, were we wrong. Hugely. People just, right now, all they want to do is uh, save a buck and uh, have instant gratification. And th- and that's what, back to the pet store, so you have all these local suppliers, you have your guys breeding angelfish, you got your you got your guys breeding canaries, you got your guys breeding parakeets, yep. and all the thing, you know, they were selling to five or six stores, and all of a sudden one store goes away and stuff. Eventually, all these guys quit. Just quit doing it, and so all of a sudden, now it's hard to get a hold of some of this stuff. I had a, a a person that I bought all my birds from, and we I would sell seventy five to a hundred parakeets every every week. I get four cages from her on on uh, Tuesday night and Wednesday. I'd go out there and I'd sell them all. And um, what she tried to do is she tried to get into the high end stuff like the uh, the the macaws. And the African greys, you know, the, the birds you're getting $1,500 for. And what she found out after about two years is that she still had to go back and raise parakeets and canaries, the cheaper birds, because she could move them a lot quicker. And that's what paid for her big birds. And so, you know, she just wanted to do big birds, which, I mean, that's what a lot of us want to do. I mean, like we're talking about Steve Rubicki from Angels Plus. He says, I'd rather, you know, sell, you know, 100 high-end fish than sell 100 you know, cheap fish. You're, you're, the stores evolved into the service centers that you can get stuff and get the expertise where no one offers anything else. And that's what Adam did in that clear conversion. He went from being a dog food store to being a specialist store. And that's why you didn't get to see a lot of the, the change. So for instance, the, the crickets that you guys hammered home, Walmart's not going to carry crickets, not any time no. soon. You know, you're, you're, that's the thing that will keep people through the door. It's high margin. It's unique. That's just one example. You know, the others, like you said, like the fish department or certain heaters and lamps, you know, they sell one size of heater at my my local department store. That's all they sell just to have something on hand. Um, and I'm surprised they sell heaters at all. You go to an actual pet store, they're going to have every variety that you need, plus an expertise of, hey, what's right for me? And they know that that's what, what's going to keep it. So that's the only way stores run nowadays, uh, at least successful ones. And now we're seeing the rise of from the traditional pet store to these extremely specialized um, physical locations. Like we talked about Steve Rubicki. He's online. He, he sells exclusively online. He sells that one high-end angel. He'll go upwards of $60 for a single, $600 for a pair, right? At really high-end, best quality angels, award-winning, that type of stuff. But we're also seeing like, you were talking about uh, your buddy Paul from Tame Waters. 
you know, he's an example of something that all he brings in is just the purest, most specialized fish. He doesn't have a lot of bread and butter stock. And this is yeah. a gentleman in St. Paul, correct? But Phil, uh, Phil, not Paul. Yeah, Phil. My yeah in Minneapolis. Yeah, he brings in the high-end betas and he brings in like the high-end super rare fish. Um, that's what gets people in the door is the super high-end stuff. And that's what I ended up doing. Yeah, Phil, he's he's got a nice little shop, little yeah, tiny he, shop. And, and the, the giants, and he had the most beautiful pair. And I sat there going, do I spend 80 bucks on two fish? Do I spend 80 bucks on two? What am I going to do with them? But they're gorgeous. Never seen them anywhere else. I've been to a lot of wholesalers, never seen them. And so it gives uh, your wallet a heat wave. Yes, very much. Now you have a lot of specialty product. What type of hours? Because you didn't have staffing, did you? Um, no, at first I basically did everything for the first, let's see, I had it for six years, I want to say. six. I want to say six years. So you said 80 hours. What does that equal on a weekly regiment? Like you were doing X water changes, so all tanks had to be changed once. Yep, all tanks had to be changed. through maintenance, not sales. Okay, so basically I would come in in the early morning, and I because I still sold puppies, that's a whole other thing. Puppies brought people into my store. Before you guys say anything, they were not puppy mill puppies because there's a way to tell. I literally got them from local people. But the stupid thing is, is in Minnesota, the way they write the regulations are you have to kind of almost buy them from puppy mills, what I would consider a puppy mill. So it's it's kind of a catch. Eventually, you just kind of have to stop carrying puppies, but everybody likes to come in and see the puppies. So I would get up and I'd be at work. I'd open at 10 in the morning. The puppies make a huge mess. I mean, you got to come in how many hours early just to get the puppy pen cleaned up before customers came in. Well, then what was the checklist? Clean the puppy pens, change was, the water. It was in the come in at 8 in the morning, egg. clean the puppy pen, make sure the store doesn't stink, throw all the garbage out, check all the food and water for all the birds, Check all the food and water for the hamsters. Make sure they haven't killed anybody. Check the rodents. Then in my rodent breeding room, check everybody in there. Make sure they've got all food and water. And hopefully if there's no problems or complications, you're done by the time you open up at 10 in the morning. <laughs> and then you close at 6. I'd close at 6 and I'd be done by sometimes 7 or 8 o'clock trying to, you know, recheck on water, recheck on food, make sure everything's clean. Uh, I had it so that like Mondays were fish cleaning day, Tuesdays was reptile day, Wednesdays was bird cleaning day, everything was cleaned once a week. Um, Sundays were hamster days because Sundays I had shortened hours, but just because I had shortened hours didn't mean I wasn't there long. Uh, eventually I got to just being closed Sundays because it wasn't a busy day and I just took that to clean up a lot of stuff around the store. That was usually rodent cleaning day. But I mean, it's you're busy all the time. And that was one of the things that I should have done better was bring employees in. Did you get a half day off? Like how many you said no. 80 hours? Was that an accurate figure? I did 80 hour weeks. Easy. Well, and that might even be short. I mean, there were, there were 10, 10, 12 hour days. And then if you get orders, orders are towards like a Thursday, Friday. I always tried to bring in my fish and lizards and everything and have it here by Thursday. Dry goods was also a Thursday so that weekends are your busy time so that you have it ready for the weekend because everybody's out of work. And so that's when you really get hammered on your Friday afternoons and Saturdays is when you'd get super busy. So, but yeah, 
you know, and then throw in an account, you, you have uh, late trucks, early trucks. Yeah. I mean, they'll call, in, they'll call and say, you know, we're going to be there at nine o'clock tonight because we're so far behind or the roads are bad or there's been a blizzard or just a, a thousand other things. So it's a lot like farming. I mean, you just got to decide, you know, there's a thousand fires, which one needs to be put out first. And so it gets to be uh, a whole lot like farming. So, yeah, to have some em- employees would be very helpful. But there's very few things that you can control when you own a business. And labor is probably your number one. Because you know what? Your rent is still the same every month. Your electricity bills can be the same within 25 30 bucks, unless you have a really yeah. cold winter. And uh, there's very few things that you can control. That You can control labor. And you can control your buying. And you have to buy with your head and not with your heart. Because just because you like, you know, these big arandas and you haven't sold one, but you've got a tank full of 20 arandas that cost you $20 a piece. If you're not moving them, you know, you probably should get that tank uh, turned around to whatever else you could sell and make a profit. Um, I make more money on neons and I have a up to 50 on a price break. So if you buy... One, it's this price. If you buy 10, it's this price. If you buy 25, it's this price. And if you buy 50, it used to be pretty cheap. And uh, we've, we've and had... if you have Rob's, he buys 200. He gets yeah. a special, special price. Special price. So, yeah. So, I mean, what you need to do is you need to set yourself apart and um, and try to stay ahead of everybody else. And just when you think you got to figure it out, the rules change. That's And that's how it usually is, is every time you get something, one fire put out, you're like, yes, I can take a break. No. Nope can't something else comes up and then you got two more fires to put out because you didn't notice things yeah i remember when you used to have all these puppies and then you'd have to load them all up in your van and take them to the vet and you'd have 15 puppies and it's like wrangling cats you know uh you go there and people go well puppies are expensive well you know go get shots for 15 puppies and vet checks on 15 puppies And, and there goes a lot of money out of your pocket before you even try to sell these darn things well, and then you know, to guarantee him for a year in the state of Minnesota, which I had no problem with doing any of these things. But it's like every time you then you have to deal with like animal nut job animal rights people that go and they go, you're buying from puppy mills. And it's like, no, it, it, like it got to the point where I literally could show people the addresses and they'd be like, oh, that's uh, that's, you know, 20 miles away. Yep, that's not a puppy mill that's private person that just had an accidental litter and i took you know i took them in and i vet checked them vaccinated them made sure they were dewormed and everything and put them in the uh put them in the tank or not in the tank sorry yeah don't don't put the puppies in the the tank yeah people i remember people would come in and and razz you saying well you have too many puppies in this cage well this this is first of all is not the forever home they're, they're they're on display for the day. They, they're going back to a bigger thing. And you know what? If this dog doesn't sell in the next four weeks, we're not putting it down. We're not the pound. You know, yeah. I mean, these puppies are here until they, they go to a good, a good home. Then, like Adam said, you have to guarantee them for up to a year. So now this dog, after it's a year old, has hip dysplasia, which, of course, you have no idea if that's going to happen. You know, then you got to go back to the breeder, and it's just so much work and 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 so much time consumed just trying to sell sell puppies that that gets to be uh, where a lot of our stores that I used to deliver to kind of got out of puppies too because they're just being 
uh, it was just killing them to the amount of money being spent. And then people would come back a year and a half, two years later and, and say, well, this dog had a defect. And they, and well, when did you discover that? Well, my cousin Bob says he's got hip dysplasia. Well, have you taken him to a vet? Well, no. Are you going to pay for it? Well, you pay for the vet first and then we'll talk about it, you know? So, I mean, where else do you get a, a, a one-year guarantee? You can't get a one-year guarantee on a clock radio for $12. I've literally never heard of a one-year guarantee. That's why I'm, like, beside myself. No, Minnesota right. State says Yeah, that. Minnesota what if, State what lies. What if your dog? Exactly. What if your dog, what if your chihuahua jumps off the couch and breaks his leg? What if it's snuck a Snickers bars in the Mars dog food? That's correct. You know, that type of stuff. It happens. So, Adam, going through this, and I just want to clarify some things, because we take a lot for granted, right? I have a lot of... Uh, Friends that have had pet stores. I deal with pet stores in the regular. Jimmy Wholesales. You've had a pet store. There's a lot of things that we take for granted. So some of the uh, things that have been brought up, and I just want to state the obvious, right? In a pet store, especially for fish, you have to have at least, what, 20 tanks, right? That would be like three Mars racks. You want, you know, your bread and butter stock, which is your yep. guppies, your neon tetras, your corridors, playco, stuff like that. You want your... um semi-aggressive to aggressive product which are you know start with angel fish going all the way up to some of the cichlids oscars stuff like that and then you want you know your feeder array which is some of the cold water goldfish you know and then some of your feeder fish which you may not encourage you know most people nowadays really if you hear all the professionals don't feed feeder fish but people are still going to have a demand for it because they're looking for a very cheap fish to try out a tank cycle a tank Whatever the case may be, you still have to have them on supply. So that is the bread and butter stock. Past that, past those 20 tanks, those three racks, that's where you get into some of the specialty stuff. That's where you have your weird, you know, lame endlers. That's where you have maybe a saltwater <laughs> rack. That's where you have maybe those uh, seahorses that people throw pennies in because they hope to make a wish. Now you're just you being know. a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. Right. So those those are the obvious and turd wagon again more obvious yeah. things that we take for granted is how the filtration does everything's done on a budget you want to make it look presentable so if you go to different pet uh, pet stores they'll have a lot of you know old decorations on hand they'll make it look nice they'll put live plants in and generally they'll only have stuff that they sell if they're going to put decorations it's going to be a live plant with a price tag if they're going to have gravel guess what they have a bag of it below that you can buy yourself so it's stuff that they have on hand. And as far as the functioning items, you know, they're heating the room. They're not necessarily heating the fish tanks because, again, that's more cost on your bottom line. I mean, how as big was your electric bill, Adam? Well, okay, so my electric bill, it was like 700 bucks a month. And then what I ended up doing was we ha I had in my store 56 fish tanks. I had the whole – Jim remembers. I had the whole wall – and that was um, fish tanks. And then I had, in the back, I had brackish and salt water. And then basically the whole wall, it was 255s. And then it was 10s, 20, 10s, 20 longs, and 15 gallons all alongside the wall. And it was, what, a 30-foot wall, Jim, I want to say? I would say it's probably a 50-foot wall. It was big. Okay, yeah. There, so that's, that makes more sense. And it's the first two rows are fish tanks and full of fish. And then underneath it, I had the bags of gravel, the bags of sand, that type of stuff for people. Um, and then I had fish food all along, fish food and fish heaters and fish plants and decorations and that type of stuff there. And when I bought the store, she had 
every individual tank hooked up to a back filter. And then on top of it, it was hooked up to a travel system. And then on top of that, there was air blowing in to hook up the under gravel system. So it made it easy to clean. And then what I ended up doing was I ended up putting sponge filters in every single tank and my electric bill dropped over $300 in one month. I actually had somebody from the city coming in because they, it dropped so fast. They were I like, what did you do? And I'm like, I just switched out from every tank having a back filter and every tank had a heater. And so it was actually easier to just heat the whole area with than it was to put um heat my store up a little more it was cheaper to heat up the store a little more than it was to have a heater in every tank on the back for the rooms for that i mean to go down the whole thing you're having way easier luck doing these things that's why if you see a lot of the old pet stores they haven't converted from these integral filters is because they work they're paid for and they they don't break. They're just there. They work. There's no pumps, motors, anything they have to do. It makes water changes for them easier, uh, just general maintenance. So it just makes sense. And they don't have to worry about cycling a tank because they have, you know, a tank filled with sponge filters that are already pre-cycled. So if they need to start up a new tank over, they drain it, wipe it, throw a sponge filter in, and it's holding the cycle in the giant sponge filter. So it just makes sense to do everything as low cost as possible while making your tanks look presentable. And the other thing that Adam did that was really smart is he moved all his goldfish up towards the front door, which was constantly being opened. And in our Minnesota winters, it's cold as heck. And uh, those goldfish just thrived up there right by the door. So the first thing you did when you walked in his door, you saw 55-gallon tanks full of goldfish and, you know, 30-gallon tanks full of goldfish and stuff. And those tanks were nice and cool. And in the the summer, sometimes uh, Adam would have to, put like a curtain over it so they wouldn't get so much sun so they would start algaing up and stuff but those goldfish did great and sold a lot of them so jimmy has this uh wonderful way uh you have a tipper tie it's an old unit that they use to clamp like sausage right uh for food products yeah what it is is it's just a a uh, aluminum staple that's put on like when you go to your grocery store and you buy your jimmy dean sausage in that roll and it's got that metal clip on the end. And uh, when I was at Secrets Farms 20 some years ago, they have pneumatic tipper tie machines, which is they're air driven. And so all they do is they twist the bag, they put it in there and it pneumatically just slaps on a ring. It, it slaps on a ring and cuts the tip of the plastic off. And those are dangerous as heck. And you have to be really careful because it will cut your finger off. If you would happen to get your finger in there. When I was down there 20 years ago, I bought a tipper tie machine for $500, and I remember making payments on it for a long time, and I remember explaining to my wife at the time why I bought this, but um, you get 10,000 staples is about a $100 bill. 10,000 staples will go a long ways. So um, for me, when I was doing wholesaling, uh, doing a lot of stores, I could go out there and do uh, 200 bags in an hour by myself and not burning my fingers up with the rubber bands. And now just recently, our friends over in West Fargo, uh, Nancy fell and broke her hand, and she was unable to use the um, rubber bands that they've been using for years. So I gave her my tipper tie machine to use, and now she wants, she, she's holding it for ransom. She says she's not giving it back. 
Little don't <laughs> you know, I'm going to storm the store and riot and take it back someday here when her hand is better. But she goes, I can't believe I've been tying rubber bands for all these years when you can just take this big staple machine. They're very simple. They're very expensive. They're made in Germany. And I had my first show that I went to down in Florida in Orlando, the tipper tie guys were there, you know, showing their wares and stuff. But it's uh, it's very expensive. So if you're looking to find one for yourself, for your own fish room, or for your own store purposes, we have stores that listen to our podcast. You can look on Amazon or a lot of the food packing uh, places, and you can find yourself a, another type of tipper tie machine. It's a, Again, it's the same thing that you see like in a Jimmy John's sausage container. So again, these are all food-grade uh, products to try to make a full-on seal, which is what you need for airtight bags. And you can get them for about that $500 price still. Yep, that's it, where it starts out. And you can spend a lot more money on the pneumatic ones that are run by by air and stuff. But what I really like about them is is you, you have a small tank of oxygen, you squirt in the oxygen, you spin the bag, you crimp it, and you go on to the next bag. It's none of the wasting. I mean, when I helped Nancy and Jeff um, up in Fargo not too long ago before I gave them my machine to use, I was using rubber bands, and, and the cuticles of my fingers were, were bleeding after about 15 bags. They were, I stopped up there on a Saturday afternoon, and they were super busy. I helped them out. Hey, Robs. How badly did you want one of those machines when we were bagging all those cichlids? That's Scrap, our, our editor, and we went down to uh, southern Minnesota in the metro and uh, went to Andrew Henderson. He's a the breeder of the year currently for the uh, Minnesota Aquarium Society, and we did uh, that big rescue. He, uh, it's on Ohio Fish Rescue's YouTube. We still have to upload part two on their YouTube, but, man, we went through. We filled a, we filled a U-Haul trailer full of fish. Like top to bottom, it was about twenty. It was about twenty five percent of a U haul trailer. The the one whole side of it was well, we mostly taken up by a big fish rack. Right. So, yeah, we, but it was mostly full. It would be the small U haul trailer that we would have filled. And my hands were raw, chapped, and bleeding. Like by the end of it, because I did all the bagging. Oh man, my 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 hands hurt. So I would have definitely liked that tipper time machine. Yeah, it's it's the best money you'll spend if you're a busy fish store and you don't have a tipper time machine. You definitely need to do it. I don't know how I'm going to get mine back from my friends that own the, the tropical fish shop up in West Fargo, but I'm going to I'm going to have to go back and take it back because I uh, tonight before I came over I did six bags of fish uh, for somebody and and my fingers hurt from using rubber bands. Well, that and you had Tourette's, so I'm I mean, not. I don't have Tourette's. No, just when you're doing the bag. Yes. Oh right. yeah. I was, uh, Temporary Tourette. I was the f bombing. Yeah. Right. So the other things to take for granted is nets. You know, people uh, talk about net dip. You know, you, you've seen yep. uh, an offer. Maybe Walmart had a bucket that they threw stuff in that they never uh, washed out. And when you do this, make sure that you're putting the entire net in solution when you're doing this because you have essentially a giant Petri dish. Adam had almost 60 tanks, and you're using, you know, nets left and right. And when it's busy, especially when it's busy, you can't keep track of what you're dipping in where. Maybe it's a new uh, fish stock that hasn't finished quarantine yet that someone had to have. You know, you're going left and right. So make sure that you have a full bucket that covers from net tip all the way to handle to make sure that you're getting everything dipped on the nets. Yeah. The fish store. One of the best things I saw when I was down in Florida, they had a six inch deep plastic container and they threw them in there horizontally. They just laid them in there in six inches of water with the solution in there and stuff. And they're the ones that explained to me that, you know, you can't just have the handle sticking out because that's where all the crap and that little spiral wire yep. that's where all that crap settles and and that's where you're going to transfer your icks and and your your different uh med what i'm saying your different diseases. diseases yep 
So, Adam, before we get on, because I want to talk about where, you know, some of the futures are going on the pet stores. You know, we have some fans that desperately want to know some crappy, you know, customer stories or some notable customer stories you've had. Before you told us about the infamous, you know, seahorses flipping a penny in the tank and watching them die. Sad story. But do you have any other like notable stories to tell our ever endearing audience? Yeah. So my favorite one is um, I had a cockatiel and the lady who had it. Um, she had trained it. She'd had it for like six months, but then she ended up falling and breaking her hip and she gave it back to me and wanted me to resell it. Um, and she was getting some of the money, but she taught it to wolf whistle. So this one morning I was getting stuff done and I was still working on stuff. And this good looking blonde lady walks into my store and the bird wolf whistles at her. And I instantly get this withering glare of death from the lady I'm like, that wasn't me. That was not me. I go, that was the bird. And she goes, no, it wasn't. It was you. And she literally was pissed. And I said, no, walk by the bird again. And it walked. She walked by the bird again and it, and it wolf whistled. And she goes, oh, how nice of that bird to, li- to like me. And I'm like, Whoa. oh, it's okay when the bird does it. So the sexy brown guy whistling isn't kosher, but when the bird does it, it's cute. That's called profiling. And- that's, yep, that's exactly it. <laughs> so that was, um, that was, I had one not heard them. that story. <laughs> oh, I thought I told you that one. Oh, she no, was I just heard that one. pissed. Like just livid. So uh, that night he went to some rent stranger's house and found the pet. That's so right. That's the moral of the story, right? Yeah. So okay. what other stories you got? Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> Well, let's see. I have I've had uh, I had a person bring in a bobcat, a pet bobcat. What? Um, yeah, I had a customer bring in a pet bobcat once. Was he trying that to sell it? Actually, no, so they like, brought it in like a um, wild bobcat that he somehow tamed. He brought it in, saying, "Hey, I'm trying to find a toy for it." And you're like, "Get that wild creature out of my store!" Has it had its shots? No, they they brought it in because um, it was literally their pet. They bought it from another place as a cub and they brought it into my store and it was actually probably one of the best behaved animals I've ever had come into my store. Like it was um, Carol Baskin. I'm calling it. It was Carol. It was a Carol Baskin. It back was in not the day. Carol back Baskin. In the day. Was she blonde, wrinkly and filled with hate? <laughs> no, <laughs> then I would have known it was Carol Baskin, but no, these people had a lot of exotic animals and they've always had exotic animals and they just, they brought. They said they had a pet bobcat, and I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then they brought it in, and it was literally like it was really cool because they brought when they were walking it to my store, there was almost a couple of accidents in the parking lot. People just like staring at it because they what, had it on a leash. Mice or dogs, and they're chasing after it. No, it literally sat. She told it to sit, and the thing sat and was just staring at everything. It was actually pretty. I was impressed. Definitely, Carol Baskin. You, you know. You say this thing's the best behaved pet you've ever had. What about my dog? When I used to bring my dog over there. He would shit on my, my floor every day. Time, every time my dog came in, he would make it in 10 feet and take a dump on Adam's foot. Every Right single, by the entrance. And then you give him a treat. Good dog. Every single time. <laughs> yeah. I had, I, I, had, I had Gus up there a hundred times, and he pooped a hundred times. Every yep. single time. Like yeah. clockwork. Now, here's a question. 
do you need uh, any kind of license for a bobcat or something like that? Because to me, I'm hearing this, and I'm thinking of, like, the guy walking into a gun store that doesn't have an FFL for a fully automatic weapon, and you lay, like, an M2 or something like that on the on the counter. Like, here, here's my fully automatic belt-fed. Like, here you go. A, this is a killing mission. On a side note, I'm going to your place during the zombie apocalypse. Um, the, At the time... This was before the kid got his arm ripped off by a tiger in Red Wing. You didn't need a permit in the state of Minnesota to have anything exotic. So you could have anything from timber wolves to bears to tigers, lions, anything that you wanted. But then after that happened, they ramrodded a bunch of legislation. And um, then you couldn't get those types of exotics anymore. Like um, people used to have pet monkeys. I used to have monkeys come in. Uh, we used to be able to sell like ping pong mice, all kinds of cool stuff until uh, somebody got monkey pox in Wisconsin. Typical Wisconsin people wreck everything for everybody else. <laughs> we used to have, we used to be able to have like really, really cool pets back in the day that people could bring. Well, and you right could now, have it. And then once um, that law got passed, you were grandfathered in, but then you couldn't, you know, you couldn't get them again after that. Well, the, the law has manipulated. We had the um, uh, Dusty from the a local zoo that we have, and he went over that it was, it's mainly a lot of the USDA, DNR, and then local oh, government. Those are the three people you have to get for these uh, exotic animals. So if it's big cats, if it's, you know, monkeys, deer are his, one of his biggest problems because DNR requires so many uh, levels of uh, Shots, quarantines, testing, and then continual updating on vaccinations for different deer because they don't want, you know, some terrible disease getting into the native deer population. So native species are the are most difficult. But as far as like if you have like a like he has Arctic wolves right now and the Arctic wolves, he had to get passed by his penning from the USDA. And then he had local permission from the local chief of police saying that he could have them. So once that was all done, he's good to go. But yes, that's all legislation that you have to get. Get those three hoops you have to jump through in Minnesota. And I, I, I know Adam's been to them. I, I've been to a couple exotic animal auctions. Yep, and they're fun. It, yeah, and you see all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, I watched a girl walk around with a bear cub that she had bought. And it was probably a 19, 20-year-old girl. Please she, tell me she named it Winnie the Pooh. No, but I, I, I want to tell you about how how just disgusting this thing was so she's carrying this bear around and this bear is still being bottle fed and she's letting it suck on her neck so it looks like she's literally has a thousand hickeys all over her neck from this bear cub that she's carrying around and taking pictures with people and it just looked really bad but i mean as long as it's not over 35 pounds it's legal in uh, west virginia <laughs> so is dating your or marrying your relative in west virginia <laughs> 35 pounds are you talking about girls or are you talking about bears? I love you, Dabby, if you're listening from West Virginia. <laughs> that was our dig on Dabby. All right, so we're going to save the other stories for story time, but we want to, before we uh, leave the podcast, is talk about some of the futures that we're seeing, some of the trends. We, we mentioned before the micro stores. Joe Shrimp Shack is a fantastic uh, proof. He's got a sm uh, small store, low overhead, specific. Again, he, he has an array of products, but it's very much geared to the nano tanks and shrimp. That's it. He doesn't sell large cichlids. He doesn't have a bird in the place. It's it's very just um, specialized to the one product. And then having a hybrid of a local store in a metro area 
and online sales. Uh, Phil, you know, Tamed Waters, he does auctions, you know, online and uh, other websites uh, and has just nothing but specialized product. Uh, you don't see bread and butter stock at his place at all. And that's, no. you know, where we're seeing everything happen. Those are popping up. But even a, a bigger trend, and we have a, a gentleman, um, Zian, uh, Xi'an, I'm going to butcher la, uh, names here, so forgive me. But this is a gentleman that has a local fish store in Malaysia. And we see this a lot, uh, again, studying, talking with different people. But he just reminded us that having fish on different displays, like, for instance, Jimmy, when you went down to different fish auctions, you hung up a pegboard. You filled up the put fish in bags, rolled a price on the bag, hung the bag, and it would oxygenate it. A bag of fish with oxygen can sit in that bag for, what, three days? Yeah, depending on how many you have in there, yeah. Right. So you hang these bags of fish on a pegboard. People just really grab the bag, pay you, and walk out. So that's the big transition that they're seeing is you do that for a trade show. You know, in Malaysia, the local fish store, he says that he's doing that, and he sees that his sales are going up. People grab, they don't have to wait. They're not making a commitment on the sale. Hey, I got to go grab an associate. They just grab the bag, bring it up front, and pay as you go. They're trying to make that you know, faster, quicker, more reliable service on the specialty products, even going further than a lot of these micro stores go, are going. You know, going back to, to going back to crickets really quick, we were down in Florida. We went to a place, and, and they had crickets already in a bag. And that I guy did told that. us. Yeah, and, and so did Adam. And I think I came back and told you about it. Yep, you did. And uh, what happens is all of a sudden now nobody, you know, that one person's coming in for their bag of crickets for the week, and they're and you're busy. It's Friday afternoon. It's Saturday afternoon. They can just go over to the to the little strip and, and grab a bag of crickets, go up and pay for it, and be gone. That way, Adam doesn't have to dig them out, or the store owner doesn't have to dig them out. And everybody I've talked to, including Adam, talked about how they increase their sales just because, like you said, instant gratification. I'm in and I'm out because everybody's busy. No matter who you talk to, even if you talk to people who are unemployed, they're really busy. Yep. So I just got a clarification that those are happening in fish markets in China uh, for tropical fish to, to be grabbed. That's what I watched the other night. He, uh, he's in Malaysia. He's seeing uh, seeing the trend, but he's meaning over in China. So yep, I didn't want to clarify over, that. He just messaged on the board here. Yeah, over in China, I just watched that the other night and stuff, and, and I've never seen so many dang fish in my entire life in some of those and they have Chinese markets where it's just store after store after store after store of fish. And that's, that is my bucket list of things to do. I really want to go to China and just go see these things. And it's just incredible, all the stuff they had. Probably, I've seen a bunch of them, Aquarium Co-op. I think it was a co-op, yes. There, yeah. I think it was a co-op. So, yeah, it's just incredible what, what people are, are doing over there uh, to make sales and stuff. And there's still a large amount of people in this world that still love their fish. And you just got to reach out and find them. And the other thing I would do is do definitely internet stuff. Yes. Part of me wants to do this again and just, I would definitely put everything that I have right on the internet also. Like some of my rare and exotic stuff that I like to bring in for me, you know, I would have that online because then I can get everybody in the country and I can ship it out. And that's what Phil does too, is he puts stuff online and has people, they'll call in and they'll, he'll put, he'll do like a live stream. And that's something that I thought of is, you know, he shows everybody what it is, and he's getting orders for stuff as he's doing the live stream of, oh, I'll take this, I'll take this, I'll take this. What a great idea that is. I mean, it's a big I, help, I, too. And I, Rob's a big believer of Facebook. I'm not even on Facebook. But uh, our, our friends up in West Fargo, once again, uh, when they get a bunch of shrimp in uh, from me, they'll put it on a, on a Saturday morning. They'll say, you know, you know, fresh shrimp in. 
and uh, people just come in from the woodworks. I mean, because people are watching their Facebook. They go, oh, they got a new shipment in, let's go. Well, your buddy Steve Rubicki, he told us right on the podcast that he doesn't do uh, you know hardly any marketing anymore. All he does is just some small internet marketing. All he does is post a single fish and says, doesn't that look pretty? And he has eight people PMing, I want that fish. Right. So, at, I mean, he, he only sells, you know, X amount of fish per, uh, throughout the year. But, you know, people are, are making this quite easy for themselves. You don't have to be a tech expert to make yourself a website. You can go to these, you know, Wix, Squarespace, Shopify. They have templates you can build and just, you know, take pictures are the hardest thing. You're going to have to get, uh, you know, grab your phone, do some uh, filters, trying to get those uh, pictures of your, your content on there. And the stores are easily done. You can uh, do that. Otherwise, even like I said, Facebook, right now the, the fish hobby as a social media is on Facebook and Instagram. Those are the two places that uh, if you want to find knowledgeable groups, share content, you know, that those are the places to be. So Facebook has a ban that you cannot sell any live pets. You can sell plants. You cannot sell the pets. So people don't use the dollar symbols. There's, you know, secret groups that uh, talk amongst themselves. But the best way is just showing like, hey, there's this, this I have, anybody interested? I say, what's the price? And you private message it. So there's still a lot of, uh, you know, trading advertising that goes online. Otherwise, you know, you could always uh, advertise on your everyday friendly podcast. You know, Give us a call. There you go. Well, uh, we'll make it fun. A couple other things, uh, an app called Band. I heard there's some fish groups on band that do that kind of thing. I see a lot of fish on Craigslist here locally when I'm searching for aquariums at under a dollar a gallon. But, uh, yeah, that's a couple things. And just uh, don't order bobcats from Carol Baskin. <laughs> oh, all you cats and kittens. Oh. I did have a question about the cats thing, though, and because you were talking about having the uh, the puppy mill thing. Uh, here locally, um, one of a couple of our stores will work with the local um, animal shelters, and they'll rotate stock in from them to try to sell them. Did you do any of that kind of stuff, Adam? Or maybe even uh, take in like fish from people that couldn't keep them because they got too big? So we can give a shout out to OFR on the back end of this. Yeah, I would always take in fish from anybody. Um, and then I ended up doing kittens also because kittens are just rampant unless they're wild i didn't do the uh the um like the humane society the local places the rescue groups because they always had a paper saying that if their dog scratched or bit somebody i was liable and not them so they were trying to control their liability issues and it was just kind of one of those things where it's like yeah i'm not going to get involved because they had more adult dogs rather than puppies yeah, it was kind of sketchy for, sorry, it was kind of sketchy for us. We even fostered a few um, moms that were pregnant from the, from them, or like ones that when they had kittens where the moms would abandon them. And then the, mm -hmm. our local Humane Society would like say, oh, we're going to check on you. We'll give you a little food and help you out for helping us out. But for the two letters we had, they didn't do, they did the initial like, hey, here you go. Here's the paperwork. And then here's a little food. And then they were like farts in the wind. You know, all these groups that are out there, you know, saving, saving cats and dogs, you know, God bless them. But, but here's a, a problem that I have. I went to, I, can't, I think it was pet, pet smart to be, to be honest. I think it was pet smart. They, they were, they had 
gently used cats. I mean, gently used cats. They had cats. Yeah, they they had only a. They were under hundred thousand miles. Right. You know? I'm, t- I'm talking about one-eyed. Excuse me. They're certified reused cats. Um, felines. Buy here, pay here. They had a one and a half year old tomcat with one eye. You know how much the adoption fee was? They called them lucky. Five hundred dollars. Yeah. Two hundred dollars for a one-eyed tomcat, and I'm just going. Okay, I understand you have a little bit of a vet bill in this cat, you know, because they they always want them neutered and whatnot. But after talking to some of the vets up in the area, these groups normally beat up the vets pretty hard for prices. You know, they said, we'll bring you X amount, so you got to give us a better price. And they they normally want to work with these folks too and stuff. But I'm just going, why would I want a one-eyed Tomcat for $200 that's, that's a year and a half old when I could get a... A Persian cat for two hundred dollars. That's cute. I don't know. That's just me. I'm a jerk. Definitely with you. So wrench yeah. online, wrench online just messaged that it should have been half price with one eye. <laughs> See, it, yeah, it might have been four hundred. It might have been four hundred. We don't know. But it was freaking ridiculous. I mean, I just I'm sorry. Two hundred dollars for a one eyed tomcat. Is that where you go to PetSmart to get the certified reused, uh, you know, BMW model cats? PetSmart also only sell you. Uh, what is it, Adam? Is it male? I heard well, the interior's cashmere. The, the only sell you male, only they, male gerbils, rats, mice, right? Yep. They'll only sell one sex because they, they don't believe in breeding, unwanted breeding. They didn't hear Bob Barker's message that they need to spade and neuter? No, not Pretty at all. Much. Crazy. You know, I want to add one thing, too. I mean, for, for you folks that are thinking about starting a pet store, and it's still your passion, um, I, I delivered to about 27 pet stores at one time and the pet stores that I saw that were successful. And what I mean successful is that they paid their bills. Uh, they had money to take home. They, they made a living off this store. They had birds whistling at their customers. Yeah. They had birds whistling at their customers and uh, no, they had grooming and yep. what they had grooming and grooming is where you can make a ton. And when I say a ton of money, I'm talking a ton of money. Per, I, I know the numbers. I three stores that I, I dealt with. I talked to them, you know, behind closed doors. So an average groomer can can take in somewhere between six hundred to a thousand dollars a day, depending on how good a groomer they are and how much they charge. Um, we get our three dogs done, and they charge us two hundred dollars, and it's it's three hours that it takes to, to get them done. But on specialty cuts and whatnot, you know, they're charging one hundred fifty dollars for one dog, and normally how it works in a, a pet store is the groomer works for themselves. They're independent contractor. But what you do is you provide them a place in, in your store. So you see, you know, you take this back room and I will supply all the supplies for you. I'll pay all the electricity. I'll pay the water. I'll pay the sewer. And all you have to do is, is uh, bring your, your, you know, tools of the trade, your, your scissors and whatnot. And then I'll pay for all the shampoos and whatnot, but I get 60% of all your grooming and all your grooming is then rung up through me. So if somebody comes in and pick up their dog, it's a hundred dollars. Uh, they pay me. We keep track of it. At the end of the week, I cut you a check. And what some groomers love about that, it, it kind of takes their liability away of owning their own building. They've already got the, the, the generated uh, walk-in customers and stuff. And so if you're talking a good groomer doing, let's just say $600 a week, that uh, five days a week, 
that's three grand and you take home 60% of three grand for giving them a little room in the back, um, you're going to make yourself a ton of money. And that's the, the, the good stores that have good groomers. And, and when I say good groomers, you have to have a good groomer. You can't have somebody who got self-taught on the internet and uh, practice that on their mom's wig at home. But if you're thinking about doing a pet store, you know, consider having grooming in your store uh, to see if you can uh, increase your profitability. And there again, these people aren't your employees. You're not paying them, ta- you know, not paying their taxes. You're not W-2ing them. You're, you're paying them their, their wage, and then they're responsible for taking care of all that themselves. And this is a similar process to normal beauty salons, actually. Correct. Beauty salons do two models. They either charge by the chair. That is your chair to rent. You bring your scissors. We'll supply everything else. And you have to pay a flat fee or again, they do, we get percent of whatever cut. So that's, it's a common practice. That brought in a lot of money because I had grooming at one time. Yes. And then um, the groomer thought she could do better by herself and owning her own store. And she didn't last very long. Yeah. I mean, you know, what a great deal. I mean, everybody says I'm going to own my own store and you don't consider, you know, snow removal, look more in the yard, uh, you know, maintenance for the building. I mean, everything just keeps adding up like owning your own home. So it's just all things to to consider before you make that leap into your life to you want to own a pet store. I know it's a lot of people's uh, dreams and stuff, but you might want to just really step back and learn from other people's mistakes and, and do it right the first time. So and I'm going to make a prediction, right? What's oh, go ahead, Adam, first. Oh, no, I was just going to say. And then the other thing is, is um, know your customers and get to know like have a place that does data so that you can keep track of it. That was probably the one thing that my point of sale system didn't do very well was keep track of data. Um, so that I could know where my cut, what my customers were buying and I could always run a report and see, um, what was the best selling item for that week. And I could notice trends happening beforehand. That's important too. That was all. like every other business in the world. You also could have a, a frequent flyer mile type thing. You know, you, you buy four or five fish food, you get your fifth one free, or you you have a buy one, get one free on Saturday afternoon on your busiest day on, on Tetras. I mean, the big box stores are doing that. There's just a, a, a ton of different things you can do to uh, create sales. So this is all recommendations on, you know, what we recommend on the pet store, Adam's experience and how he owned a pet store in the past. But we did not talk about, you know, we talked about profit margins. We did not talk about owning a business. So do not let this podcast be a replacement that now you have all the information you need to know. Oh, hell This no. is scratching the surface. Yeah. And if you want to order a business, go to your local community college, find courses for entrepreneurship or get a, you know, an AA and business management that helps you run any business's books that tells you how tax liability works well, how shrink measurement is done, how to just run a business period. This is specifically just the ins and outs of the entertainment fish business. I mean, we're not telling you, you know, how to uh, manage your accounting, any of that. So do not take that as replacement. Go out. Some of these classes can be done from community ed. Look in your local areas and uh, don't start a business without having at least some experience in that. In Minnesota, they have a free books that you can get. You contact the state and they'll send it to you. Minnesota has a small business bureau program, uh, something like that. And it allows you to be included on um, grants, uh, marketing help, and there's a lot of free stuff that Minnesota specifically has. Check your state. A lot of them may even have business classes that they offer for free or at a grant. Just check. You never know. But as far as my prediction goes, 
right? We talked about the future, and I thoroughly believe that from our, our last podcast, again, we're we're recording these ahead of time, um, is the Jars podcast, episode 41, that now people are going to establish Jars, get them going, get the plants in there, snail, shrimp, whatever else, and that they're going to have these, you know, you know, one gallon to three gallon jars that they're going to just sell online, fish stores, whatever else. It's going to be a new trend, Jimmy. When we started it right here. Yeah, one <laughs> jar. And just think about all the substrate, all the work, the labor. Hundred bucks a jar. Boom. Everything's set. They just go home. They set it in the window. Just on the internet last <laughs> night, and I was talking about those biospheres that we saw in a trade show. Eighty dollars for sealed jars with shrimp in it. And those look like crap. They're just a piece of glass with a half-dead shrimp that you're torturing. This yeah. is a real thing. Guys, get out there, make your jars, make a business out of it. I want to see it happen. There you go. Well, anything else uh, from you, Jimmy? From me? Right. You know, I've been in this business for so long. I want to get on, get in, get out, get out, get in. And uh, it just keeps dragging you back in. It's just like a, it's like a bad sickness. Right. That's why we started the podcast, because this is uh, low cost and... Frankly, we can be humiliated while people laugh at us. There we go. Also, we did not say turd wagon enough. So no. My, turd, my wagon. Apologies. turd wagon. Adam, you got anything else, buddy? No, I think I'm good. Well, Adam, thank you so much to be our guest of honor on this podcast. We we really do appreciate it. You know, you, you went out and about. You you walked all the way into your bedroom. You know, we, we appreciate your effort. And your voice is so sexy. So sexy. <laughs> And I think I figured okay. finally figured out the working title for this podcast. And I was uh, What's trying, called? I was thinking earlier Pet Shop Boys, so I could get a music reference in and a little background music for Jimmy. But uh, I think it's gonna have to be Turd Wagon. It's gonna have to be it. <laughs> I still want some Pet Shop Boys in there. Right here, right here. Okay. As we as we go out, we bid you adieu, and again, stay safe out there. Later, guys. Later. Thanks, guys, for listening to the podcast. Please go to your favorite place where podcasts are found, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever they can be found. Like, subscribe, and make sure you get push notifications directly to your phone so you don't miss great content like this. I never knew that a Minnesota accent could be so sexy until I heard Adam's voice. Go fuck yourself, don't you know? <laughs> That's my boy, don't you know.